Lord Jesus, we thank you that we have found our resting place in you. Lord, we thank you. There is no trouble in you. There is no strife. There is no fear, no worry that can get to us. Lord, we live in you. We move in you. We have our being in you. And because of that, there's a perfect rest for our souls. Lord, we constantly refreshed by you. And even though sometimes we get buffeted and hit from the left and the right, sometimes, Lord, we struggle to go forward. Problems come. But Lord Jesus, the rest cannot be penetrated that you give. The rest, Lord, the comfort of your Holy Spirit, the help that's available is truly amazing. And it's more than any match for anything out there in our world. Lord, we love you. As we come to your word right now, we pray again. Instruct us. Go right to the core. Penetrate with your word. Holy Spirit, let your voice be the supreme voice in our hearts, like a soft, gentle, quiet, still, small voice. Lord, right at the center of our being. And Lord, we pray that it would be good seed into the soil of our hearts. Good soil, good seed, producing a wonderful crop, fruit that glorifies you, that others can be blessed by that we can be enriched by, that you can be glorified by. We ask it in Jesus' name for your glory. Lord God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, on earth in our hearts this day, because you've made this day. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it, because you're in this place. Lord, we lift you up as your people. And Lord, set a banquet, a table before us. Father, we thank you. You don't shop in any bargain basement. You don't, Lord. Oh, God, you don't. Lord God, you only put the best before your people. So, Lord, we thank you for your food. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give him a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Woo! And you may be seated. Oh man, God is so good. Well, I have a confession to make. I used to be the person in this church that wore the tightest trousers. But you may have noticed this morning, I've got a bit of competition in the building, namely my wife. I think she's got tighter trousers than me. So if you see me in the weeks to come, one day, borrow her jeans or her trousers, whatever, it's because I want to be known as the man who wears the tightest trousers in the King's Church. Maybe she can try these on and I'll try hers on. You know, these are the days that we're living in. And if you want to try them on, listen, come and see me. And I've, I've got a, I've got a, not hers, you try mine on. Thank you very much. I've got a few pairs in the house you can use. 
Hallelujah. Oh, man. Well, last week um, we were looking just again at this whole theme, this thought about there's no place like home. The church is God's home. Uh, We are God's people. We don't just come to a building. Uh, The church is not a place. It's a people. It's a home. It's us together as a family. And these are the, the thoughts and the ideals and the pictures that God's word gives to us as his people. And that's wonderful when you look around. When you look around today and you see the people to the left and the right, behind you, before you, you you're seeing God's people. You're seeing people that God has brought along your side to enrich your life, to take it to where he needs to take it. We are God's family. We are God's home. We are God's people. And we've been looking at that over the last few months. And last week, uh, we began to think about you know, the, the, the encouraging letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians were letters that Paul sent to a church that on the surface were doing very well. On the surface, everything looked great. The church at Corinth was the church that everybody wanted to be in. It had the best preachers. It had the best sound system. It had all the mod cons. Paul actually said to them, right at the beginning of his letter, you come behind in no spiritual gift. This was a church that was racing ahead full speed. This was a church that had everything on the surface. They had the best spiritual gifts. Paul commented and encouraged them about those spiritual gifts. They were moving in signs and wonders. They had miracles going. They could speak great. They were eloquent. In fact, in Corinth, the city was known for its intellectualism. The the city was known for its great education. But it was also a very debased, immoral society. And that was creeping into the church. So whilst Paul commented about their excellent spiritual gifts, whilst Paul encouraged them about all of the great things and all of the great advancements that they were forging ahead in, he had concerns. So he writes to them because he loves them. He, he sees them as God's family and there, there's some stuff that's happening that is really concerning him. For instance, they begin to, you know, show signs of immaturity when they start comparing ministry gifts. And there's factions and there's schisms and there's breaking apart because one's saying, well, I'm of Paul. Paul's a better preacher than Apollos. And some are standing up and saying, well, we're not of Paul, we're of Apollos. And then others are standing up and they're actually using Jesus in the argument. And they're saying, well, we're of Jesus, we're not of Paul, we're not of Apollos, we're of Jesus. And it's a huge mess. And Paul can hear this. Paul can see it and the the warning lights are are all flashing because it's beginning to break apart this special family that God has created in this city. So he begins to appeal to them and he says, listen, when when, when you reason like this, you're just like little babies 
I wanted to give you meat. I wanted to give you a great feast, a banquet. I've got so much to say to you. I've got so much to feed you. I want to strengthen you. I want you to come into everything that Jesus has provided for you. But you're arguing and you're reasoning like little children and you're still on the bottle. You can't, you know, move on to anything solid. I can only give you milk because of this rationale, this mentality where one is comparing one minister against another minister. Listen, guys, we're not about that. We're not about raising up man. We are servants of Christ. We want to point to Jesus. We don't want to point horizontally to the latest preacher or the latest hotshot or the latest person that can speak well. We want to point to Jesus. We should be looking at him and don't even use Jesus in the argument. Don't even use Jesus as a tool to, to, you know, to divide yourself. Christ isn't divided. Let's all come together and point to him. So he addresses that. Then he goes into another problem in the family because now, you know, there's, there's one uh, person standing up against another person and they're taking each other to the law courts. Paul says, listen, we're a family. Can't we work out problems around the table? Can't we work out problems in this family as, as a family would do? Do we have to be divided? Do we have to, you know, take our trouble to the law court out there in the world? Don't you realize what's going to happen when you get to heaven? You're going to judge nations. And you can't sort out a simple issue in the house, amongst your friends, amongst your family, amongst your brethren. He addresses that. Then they go into another issue that, again, a different issue, but it's breaking the family apart. They're beginning to get drunk at the Lord's table, right? So when we have our little communion, communion glass here, when we celebrate, you know, what Jesus has done, they were coming with their pint glasses, filling it with wine and glugging it down and getting sloshed. And Paul says, listen, guys, it's not right. It's not right. It's not for that reason. But you know, the wonderful thing I I find about this great man of God, Paul the Apostle, is that he doesn't go in with with a big sledgehammer and start smashing everything to bits. He doesn't say, right, that's it. Shut the doors. The church at Corinth is closed. Over and done with. I am fed up with you. No. He goes in as a tender father. He goes into this family. He puts his hand on the pulse of the church and he can see that things are going wrong. He can see that things are breaking apart. But tenderly, tenderly and caringly, this father comes again to the family and he says, listen guys, we're going to get through this, but I've got to address these things. Do you know, love is not blind. Love just isn't a walkover. You know, sometimes we think about the love of God. You can just do anything and act anyhow and, you know, say anything you want. And it's okay because we love you. We think that love is very effeminate, that it's afraid to confront. No, love will speak the truth. Love will, will sit down and address things and, and deal with things caringly and gently and it will even bring discipline and order sometimes we don't want order in the church sometimes we think disorder is is the way sometimes we think the the more disorderly something is the more orderly it is because we bring in all of our worldviews and we dilute 
the house of God, but no, there's order in God's house. And Paul lovingly and caringly addresses each area. He's not condemning anybody. He's not shaming anybody. But he is addressing things to bring health again and vitality to God's house and to God's family. He deals with with another issue, an, an immoral issue. And he says, listen, guys, look, what you're doing here in the church, it ain't even going on in the world. And there's some weird stuff going on out there in Corinth, it's known for its paganism, it's known for its immorality, but there's an immorality here in the church that doesn't exist in the world. So I've got to address it. And he addresses it because he wants to help them. He's not condemning anybody, but he is bringing correction. Do you know, if I didn't have correction in my home, if me and Faye didn't implement correction and boundaries and limits then the home, our home, would be in complete chaos, in complete anarchy. Now, we don't, you know, rule with a rod of iron. No, that's abusive. We don't come down all the time on every issue. No, there's some things that are saved for another day. But there has to be order. There has to be correction. There has to be balance. There has to be, you know, teaching and instruction. And that's what Paul was doing, you know, when he wrote his letter to the Corinthians. So he, you know, whilst, whilst correcting things, he encourages them. He says to them, you come behind in no spiritual gift. He, he blesses them with, with great revelation and encouragement. And then, at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, he picks up on this little... Th- phrase and it's like he throws them a lifeline they're struggling they are almost drowned in but he throws them a lifeline and he says this to them I want to show you a more excellent way 1 Corinthians 12 verse 31 but earnestly desire the best gifts well done for that you're doing really great in that you're moving in signs and wonders you're prophesying you're moving in the miracles keep desiring the the best gifts And yet, he says, yet I show you a more excellent way. I want to show you a more excellent way. Now, by saying that, he's making a distinction. By saying that, he's telling them that they've missed this way. By saying that, he's saying, listen, guys, you've gone in a way that seems good, that seems correct. It's, it's given you spiritual muscle. It's puffed out your chest. You can speak well. You've got great knowledge. You've got great intellect. You've got great understanding. You've gone in that way. You've invested time in that way. You've done your study. You've prayed in the closet. You've done all of that stuff. You may have fasted. You may have conducted all of your spiritual disciplines that has brought you behind in no spiritual gift and yet there's a way that you've missed there's a way that's eluded you and now I am here to show you the most excellent of ways the most excellent way that you have missed the most excellent way that you may never have seen, the most excellent way that you may have thought was not part of the Christian life, I am here to open the door and I am here to show you exactly what it is. You can imagine the believers of Corinth saying, Paul, what is this way? 
this way fantastic look at how we've advanced look at all of the all of the ways in which we have grown there's a more excellent way is that what you're telling us Paul maybe it's prayer maybe it's revelation maybe it's some kind of new power to perform miracles to be seen to be great to be wonderful what is this excellent way he takes them into 1 Corinthians 13 and he says this Love suffers long. Now, this is the more excellent way that Paul is opening the door to for these believers in Corinth. This is the most excellent way that's going to resolve every family issue, every life issue. This way is going to bring them great success, great prosperity. If they're going this way, this way is going to bring them into the place that Jesus has provided for them. He says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity. But rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. He starts that great chapter by saying, you know, listen guys, you can speak in the tongues of men and of angels, and yet if you have not love, you have nothing. He tells them that they can have the gift of prophecy, they can understand all mysteries, they can have all knowledge, they can have faith even to move mountains, and yet if they have not the more excellent way, if they do not know how to walk in the most excellent of ways. They have nothing. They've become like a a clanging symbol. He says you can give all your goods to the poor. You can do all your charitable work. You can do it all. And it all looks good. But if you have not love, if you don't know how to access this more excellent way for your life, You've got nothing. It's worth nothing. It's worthless. It profits you nothing. And Paul, you see, isn't pointing the finger and trying to criticize them. He's just saying, listen, all of those things are good. All of those, I'm not telling you to stop desiring spiritual gifts. I'm not telling you to stop praying. I'm not telling you to stop doing what you're doing socially but I'm revealing a more excellent way for you because this will empower you and energize you and give you an ability that Jesus wants to give you so that nothing out there in your world or wherever you are in life will be able to crush you or overcome you. The more excellent way Paul wanted to introduce them to was not a set of rules It was not a new ritual. It was not a new formula or method. It was none other than the person of Jesus Christ. He is the way, we said, the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Jesus had said it to his disciples and to others when he'd walked on the earth. He said, I am the way. He is the most excellent way. Paul wasn't introducing these people to a method or a set of rules. He was introducing them to a person. Jesus, the one 
description that God gives about himself, the only self-revelation that God reveals about his essence is this. God is love. God is love. This is the greatest message. This is the greatest direction that you and I can give our lives to. To pursue this most excellent way. You say, well, how is it possible? How is it possible? There are so many challenges for all of us. There are so many things that want to press our buttons, that draw us out, and sometimes we just get angry. Sometimes we just let it go. Sometimes we just vent it, and we hurt each other, and we wound each other. We've all done it. Every single one of us. I put my hands up and my feet up in the air, and I'll tell you something now. When my buttons get pressed, oh my God, you don't want to be around. And we fail, and we hurt each other, and we don't go in the more excellent way, you see. We don't. We don't go in that most excellent way that God wants us to go in. We go in our way. Proverbs says, and I'll, I'll come to this next week if I get chance. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but it only ends in destruction, in failure, in hurt, and in death. And so often, how many times have you gone down through the road of life and you've just followed your own way? You know, everything's been set up. Everything's been baited and you just walk blindly into it. And suddenly you're in a trap. Suddenly you're embroiled. Suddenly you're caught, like David said, in the snare of the fowler and you're fighting your way out angrily. You can't help it. It's a way that seems right to you. It's a way that comes most natural. You're not patient. You're not kind. You're not long-suffering. The pressure's on and you're kicking, screaming, biting and even scramming. Pulling hair like a girl. Doing everything you can to survive. If you're saying in your heart, that's not me. I know it's not you. I'm just describing me. (laughs) You see, there is a way that seems so right to me. It's so right to me. And sometimes I just, I, it's, it, I just, when I get plugged in, I can't help it. It's not my, it's not God's way. It's my way. It seems so right to me. It's so strong within me. It's driving me. And I can't help it. And you get what you get because I'm following my way. But God says, through the prophet Isaiah, he says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. They're so much higher, higher than the heavens are my thoughts from your thoughts and my ways from your ways. And God is not saying that condescendingly. God is not saying that to us critically because now in the New Testament, that was a reality in the old, but in the new covenant in Christ Jesus because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit because it says it in Romans 5, 5, because he's in you and because he's in me, God's ways are not so far from us anymore. God's thoughts are not so far as, as, as the, the earth is from the heaven anymore because the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. The Bible says that we have access to the most excellent of ways because the love of God is in us. So, when my buttons get pressed, you may find a different response. I love you. 
press away. Bait the hook. I'm not going to bite. You never know. Do what you will. It's not possible, you see, without his involvement. Listen, we can't do it. We can't live like this. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, I said it last week, John chapter 13, and he's, it's, the whole, it's the whole scene there. That's amazing. But one of the things that Jesus said to his disciples, he says, boys, this is the last night. I've got something to say to you. I've been keeping it from you, but now's the time to give it to you. A new commandment I give to you. This isn't the 11th commandment bolted on to the last 10. No, the last 10 are completely obsolete. I'm taking them to the cross. They're going to go into the grave and it's going to be over. You don't have to follow that old rigorous law that you can never fulfill. I'm going to take it down into death and it's going to be completely obsolete. You're not going to follow it as a system of rules. It's not going to have anything appropriate to say to you, but I'm going to give you one command and in the one command, I'm going to sum up the whole 10 as I have loved you. Love one another. As I have loved you. And he was about to demonstrate on that night what love truly is. He was about to demonstrate what love could do. He was about to demonstrate that love can never be defeated. Love can never be taken apart. You can, you can, you can whip it. You can beat it. You can you, you know, swear at it. You can strip it naked. You can pierce it with a sword. You can nail it to a cross and it'll still cry, Father! Forgive them, for they know not what they do. What is that? That's the most excellent of ways. That is the way. Jesus Christ on the cross, hanging there, dying for us. You can even put the wrath of God on it and, and, the, and the horror of God's judgment on it. And that was far worse than any hell or any demon to have the wrath of his loving Father put on him righteously and judicially. By the judge of heaven, he bore it for us. And even, even when all of the wrath and the weight of God came down on Jesus, he didn't turn against his father. He said, Father, why? Why? And he deserved a why. Why have you forsaken me? And that wasn't a criticism. That was just the anguish of a man who'd lost the most intimate of relationships, suddenly separated from his father. And into the grave he went. But three days later, he's in a room. Boys, I'm back. (laughs) Boys, I'm back. Oh, boys, I'm back. Look at my hands. Boys, it's not a ghost. It's not an apparition. Give me some fish. You can't give fish to to a ghost. Look at my hands. Look at my wounds. Look at my side. Look at the piercings. You see, you'll never, you'll never kill. You'll never destroy. The most excellent of ways. And he rose from the dead. And Paul, the apostle, says to a church that's got all of their priorities wrong. He says, now I want to show you what he's about. Look at the dimensions. Look at the power. Look at the unrelenting life of this love. It suffers long and is kind. It doesn't envy. And all of these issues, 
kindness, envy. They were struggling with. They couldn't be kind. They were critical. They were envious. They were parading themselves and puffed up. They were behaving rudely, seeking their own. Listen, listen. All of these earthly, base, sinful, ugly traits are lurking in the human heart. None of us, none of us are perfect. But we go to him and we say, Lord, please, you may be envious today. Have you ever been envious? Oh, yes. It's not nice. Being jealous? Yes. I'll say it on your behalf. Because I have been all of these. I've broken all the Ten Commandments before I was even born. Like I said, 100% sinner saved by 100% saviour. Made by, made 100% saint. You see. Got it all lurking inside me. Damaged, broken, messed up. But Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, having shed abroad his love in my heart, leads me through on into a more excellent way, like he does for you. Now, after saying that, Paul said to them, moving into what we call as 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Of course, this was just written. It wasn't written in chapters and verses. It was just written like one big long letter to them. But what we know as 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So in 1 Corinthians 12, at the end, he says, I want to show you a more excellent way. You come into chapter 13, he shows them and unpacks what that most excellent way is in his beautiful description and revelation of love. And then you go into chapter 14 and he says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Just think about the order. He doesn't say pursue spiritual gifts. He says eagerly, eagerly desire them. No problem with that. He doesn't say, listen, don't ever move in the gifts anymore. But he tells them, pursue love. Pursue love. Pursue the most excellent way if you're going to pursue anything. Pursue this. Let this be the goal. Let this be the ultimate in your life. Pursue love. This word, it's amazing. It's such a powerful word in the Greek language. has such a powerful graphic picture associated with it. This word pursue, it's of a hunter hunting its prey. It's of a hunter so desperate to catch its prey that he's tracking it, that he will not let it go. He's unrelenting. He's using everything within his skill set to get that prey. Until he captures it. And Paul says, listen, have this unrelenting desire. Have this unrelenting pursuit of love. Pursue love. Pursue the most excellent way. Look for it in your day-to-day living. When, the, you know, when there's hardship in the office. When there's difficulty in your home. When you don't want to just you know, unpack the dishwasher. When you don't want to pick up the dirty pants. When you want to give a critical remark and just let it go because you don't like what's happening around the house. 
When you're in church and somebody rubs you up the wrong way and your expectation turns into a disappointment, when you've got to go through stuff and you're just angry and you think it's unfair, pursue love. Walk in the most excellent way because God, because God has great things for you. And that challenge, that disappointment, that dishwasher that you've got to empty, it's a doorway, it's an opportunity to a greater dimension of life and living. Pursue love. And then still, still throwing the lifelines at the family, still throwing hope, still throwing help and food to, the, to this, this congregation that's in such a difficult moment. He says to them, Let all that you do be done in love. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 14. Let all that you do be done in love. Do everything. He says be possessed by this love. Let this love filter through your mind. Let this love filter through your actions. Let this love be seen flowing in you and out of you like it was when Jesus walked, like it is in us apostles, when we were in the prison beaten, when we were in the prison mocked, when we were in the prison and there was no hope, no help. We sang songs in the night. What is that? That's the most excellent way. I'm telling you now, when you begin to look at this through the eyes of revelation, you see it all over the Bible. You see it in the Old Testament as much as in the New Testament. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba, he'd killed her husband, Uriah, set him up. Bathsheba had a baby. And he was in a big mess. If God had come to David and given him law, he would have been a dead man. He was in a big mess because he'd sinned. But God didn't come to David with law. He came to David with love. And he comes and he confronts him, first of all, through a man called Nathan, who was a prophet. Nathan came to David and he told him a little story about somebody that had stolen something from somebody that was very weak. And it was a little parable. And God was setting up David. And David had been hiding his sin for probably 12 months. But like my mother always used to say to me, David, be sure your sins will find you out. And on this day, when, when Nathan the prophet just walked by, wasn't in David's palace, it was just out in the meadows, and he, he painted this little picture to David, a little parable. And he said, David, there's a man here, and he's very weak, and somebody who was very great and prominent, who had lots of power, stole the very precious thing that this man had. In fact, it was really only, it was the only thing he had. David said, my God, my God, let me find the man and I'll kill him. 
Nathan turned around to David and said, David, you're the man. You are the man. David suddenly repents. David suddenly is broken apart. But God doesn't give David law. Now the child dies that Bathsheba had. But then, da- then Nathan meets David at another point in his life. And he says, David, he's coming now with a new message. Not a message of law, but a message of love. Let's say a more excellent way for David. He says, David, the Lord has put away your sin. The Lord has put away your sin. The more excellent way is all over the Bible. Look at the interactions and the transactions that Jesus had with people. And you'll see it moving through, out of him, being revealed from him. They threw a woman caught in adultery at his feet. Said, what do you say? The law says she must be stoned. She's been caught today in bed with another man. And we've got her here, pulled from the act, thrown at his feet, naked. What do you say? And they did this to trap him. And the Bible says that the more excellent way came forward with another alternative. You see, his ways. Oh, you challenge him on his wisdom, and you got a different competition going on. You challenge him with your finite mind, and you stand up against him. And I'll tell you now, he'll gently, he'll gently dismiss you. He says, you see, the, the law says this, but this is what I say. He who has not sinned among you, go ahead, cast the stone. What is that? That's an excellent answer from the way, the truth, and the life. Come on, church. Let's give him praise. Hallelujah. Woo-hoo. He's fantastic. I'm just going to ask the musicians to come. I show you a more excellent way, Paul says. Show you a more excellent way. And then he begins to unpack it and unfurl it in 1 Corinthians 13. After he's done that, after telling them that love will never fail them, after telling them that they'll be able to bear all things, believe all things, endure all things because of this power, he says, pursue it now. Pursue this love. Go after this love. And then suddenly he's into chapter 16 and he's telling them, listen, don't just pursue it. Do everything by it. Let it become the living principle, the living spirit of your life. No matter what comes your way, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how downcast you feel, give yourself to this. Pursue it. Go after it. Do everything. Do everything in love. Finally, Jude, another apostle that wrote just one little chapter in our Bibles. Again, picking up, you see, this was, this was the whole emphasis. This was the whole, the whole ideal of what the Christ life was to the New Testament church. He says, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto 
eternal life. Keep yourself in. The love of God. Now this word keep again is a very, very powerful word in the Greek language. The picture is of a, of a, of a city being built, but it's got no protection around it. It's got no fortified wall. And for the, for, the, for the village, the city, the people group to be kept, the community, for it to retain its safety, for it to be kept safe, they would build fortified walls around it. So when Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God, he's saying this love is going to be like a great fortification around you. They're going to come at you like a bunch of wolves. They're going to come at you with their anger. They're going to come at you with their hurt. They're going to come at you with their pain. They're going to come at you with their false accusation. They're going to come at you from the left, the right, the front and the back, church. They're going to hit you hard. But keep yourself in the love of God. Don't let anything penetrate through. Don't let anything break you apart. It doesn't matter what comes your way. Like it came his way. Because he is an example to us. As he is, so are we in this world. Let it come, whatever it is. Let it come our way. Whether it's an angry boss. Whether it's a director getting on your back. And treating you unfairly. And putting the pressure on you. And criticizing you and being hard. Let it come. Let it come because we will not move from this wonderful privileged position of being in the love of God. We will not come out. We will not even defend ourselves, keep ourselves in the love of God. Amen. Woo! Let's give him praise. Let's give him honor. We love you, Jesus. We worship you and we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful, wonderful privileged position that we have. In you, that you have shed this love abroad in our hearts. Holy Spirit, you're going to help each one of us because, Lord, we are well aware of our faults. We're so aware of our failures, and maybe when we look back, see the people that we hurt, we are sorry about that. But, Lord, we thank you that as we walk into our world and into, into the situations that face us, Lord, we thank you for a fresh discovery of this amazing love. This very love, oh God, that you sent to earth in your son Jesus where you said, I did not come into the world to condemn it. I didn't come into the world to critique it, but to die for it. Maybe you're here today, you've heard me speak and maybe some some of the things You've not understood. I pray that it's seed in your heart today. Maybe today you've never asked Jesus into your heart here. We'd love to pray a prayer with you right now. I'd love to pray a prayer. And just simply, you're just going to give Jesus an invitation. You're going to send out a signal heavenward. Say, hey, Jesus. I want you to be my savior. I want you to be in the home of my heart, right in the center. Take my fear away. Take my trouble. If you're here today, let's close our eyes just for a moment. 
I just want to pray for some people. Pray this prayer with me. Maybe you're here. You've never prayed a prayer asking Jesus into your heart. Say this, Jesus, open the door of my heart right now. I need a Savior. I'm fearful. I'm worried about the future. Hopeless. Stuff in my life I can't understand, can't get rid of. Oh, we've all prayed this prayer, friends. I certainly have. Messed up, depressed, fearful. All the heavy stuff. Come, be my Savior right now. Forgive me of my sin. I ask you. If you prayed that prayer quickly, would you lift your hand up? I'll see it. I want to give you a little, little booklet. If there's nobody here, we're going to just sing before we go. Sir, I said, well done, mate. New. Awesome. This man here, I had a cup of coffee with him earlier. This, this gentleman, just put, would you put your hand up again? Look at him. He's awesome. Tell you now, God's got awesome plans for this man. Telling you. Heaven rejoices when we turn from our ways to his excellent way. Come on, let's stand to our feet.